Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Good morning. Happy Easter Sunday to everyone this morning. If you have your Bibles, find John chapter 20 for a message simply entitled, The Resurrection Today. John chapter 20. Let me thank the worship team for doing such a great job leading us in worship today. What a great day to get together to celebrate the risen Savior today. We are glad that you are here with us. While you're finding John chapter 20, I want to go ahead and tell you, I hope that you'll be back next Sunday because we're going to begin a new series that I think will apply to everyone here. It's called Overwhelmed, Controlling the Chaos, okay? And maybe you felt like this before. You're drowning. You need some help because sometimes the chaos of life is overwhelming. And God's Word has a lot to say about calming and controlling that kind of chaos in our life. So we're going to be looking at that for several weeks. And you know what? If you're not overwhelmed, there's probably somebody nearby you that's overwhelmed that God can use you and this series to kind of help with. So hope you'll be back next Sunday for that. For the past five Sundays, we've been in this series called This Is Not The End. And we've been looking at major prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And God had been telling us for thousands of years that this was going to happen. This greatest day of the history of all mankind, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, was going to happen. It was coming. That Jesus would be crucified and then he would rise again on the third day. And you know, part of what we learned in this series is that no matter how many times you say it, no matter how many different ways you say it, sometimes people just hear what they want to hear, right? And some people just never get it. They just never get it. They, they, they just, it just doesn't sink in for whatever reason. Even as Jesus was fulfilling these many prophecies that Isaiah 53 had talked about, the followers, his disciples, one, he was fulfilling these things one by one, and, and they were just blind to it, totally blind to it. They were deaf to it. Their heart was not where it needed to be when Jesus was spending those last days on earth. We looked last week at how over a third of all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, covered this last week, these last seven days of Jesus' life, because it was so important, but the disciples, they just weren't getting it. They weren't getting it. It just wasn't seeking in. Not only during His crucifixion did they not get it, but even the hours following His death, they just they never got it. They had heard what Jesus said, but they didn't believe it. They had followed Jesus around for three and a half years, but they never had really totally surrendered their life to Him. And so maybe that's where some of us are today. We see Jesus. We heard about Him. We follow Him. But have we really surrendered to Him? Well, we're going to join these disciples today, okay, in the story of about Resurrection Sunday. But... The way that we are joining is much different from the way they gathered together because, see, we have gathered today to claim victory over death, right? But the disciples, they had gathered to grieve over defeat because their Jesus had been crucified just three days earlier. We have gathered here today to celebrate, right? They had gathered to console one another because Jesus had been buried in the tomb on Friday night. You see, as far as these guys and ladies 
that had been following Jesus were concerned and had spent the last three and a half years investing their life in in proclaiming the kingdom of God to the world, it had quickly changed from that triumphal entry that we talked about last week to where it was now more like of a secret funeral that was taking place behind closed doors, hidden away. And the disciples we find at this moment, they were devastated. Completely devastated. And the disbelief and the fear that was overtaking them, it, it was just, it's hard to describe. I mean, for, for them, this was the end. It was the end. But you know, that's the good news of Easter. That's the good news about today. This is not the end, as we'll see. Join me in the story, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Let's look at it together as we join those disciples there. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So as we join in on this story this morning, the first thing that we see is one of the darkest hours in the lives of these followers. You see, it's hard to describe how dark this moment really was in their life. They had committed everything to following Jesus. But the darkness of this hour reminds us that, you know, we can really only appreciate the light after we've been in the dark, right? Remember a few weeks ago that storm that rolled through? Power went out at our house, and it was dark. I'd forgotten how dark it was without all those lights. But praise the Lord, my wife has 37 candles she fired up. I mean, they were landing airplanes out at our place, you know. But, but you know, it was dark for a while, and, and you don't appreciate the light until you have the darkness. And as best as Jesus had tried to explain it to these followers and get the message across about what was going to happen, when he was crucified... It was hard for them to see anything, but this was the end. This was the end. Jesus is gone. And so I put myself in their shoes that day. And I began to think about what those dark hours might have looked like for them. And then I began to think about what makes the hours dark for us today. What makes the hours dark? I, I, I mean, I've had some dark hours in my life, and I'm sure many of you had, right? So if there is something to learn from the darkest hours in the life of these disciples, I want to see what it is, right? And I think there are some things there. I think there are some things that we can learn from it. And I think there are some things that will encourage us on this Resurrection Sunday. If you're walking in a dark hour, some of you maybe even right now. So what makes a dark hour dark? Let's talk about that first. First thing, I think, is suffering without a purpose. If you're suffering without a purpose, it's a pretty dark moment. And that's where the disciples found themselves. Suffering without a purpose. I mean, they just didn't get it, remember? They had no sense of what had taken place. Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, he's supposed to be our Savior. He's dead. What is going on? I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. There's suffering here without a purpose. And maybe that's where you are. I mean, you've come to church. You've do church, you know, you, you read your Bible sometimes, you've heard other people give testimony about what God's done for them. But, you know, for some reason or another, God has allowed something to happen in your life, and you don't get it. You don't understand why God let it happen. And so you're suffering without a purpose. 
And that makes for a pretty dark hour. Second thing is betrayal without a reason. Betrayal without a reason. That's where these disciples are. They felt betrayed. They had left everything and everybody to follow this man, Jesus. And when Jesus had the opportunity to take a stand for himself, remember one of the prophecies, two of them we actually talked about, he remained silent. He didn't defend himself. He didn't stand up for himself when he had the opportunity. And so maybe that's what made your dark hour even darker. Somebody that you trusted let you down. And they betrayed you. And nothing makes sense about it. Another thing that will make a dark hour darker is defeat without hope. Defeat without hope. Remember, these followers, they had sacrificed everything. And it was all now gone in less than a week. Everything that they had sacrificed for and poured their life into, it was gone in less than a week. I mean, the other side had won. The disciples had lost. The Messiah was dead. And what hope did they have now? Has your dark hour ever gone darker because all sense of hope was lost? Maybe it was for a marriage, a relationship. You lost hope for a friendship. Maybe it was your career. Maybe you lost hope for even your health. I mean, defeat without hope is a very dark hour. There's got to be hope. And finally, what makes a dark hour darker is a future without a promise. A future without a promise. I mean, when the dark hour is darkest, have you ever been at that place where you wondered what you had to live for? Your hour was so dark. And you prayed and you begged and you look for any ray of light that might peek its way through so that tomorrow, tomorrow would have a little promise that it wouldn't be as dark. You see, a future without a promise is terrible. And that's where we find our disciples early on that resurrection Sunday. It was not a moment of celebration. They're everything. Jesus, he was gone. And so this dark hour meant the same thing for them as it does for us. And that is, if Christ were dead, then death is stronger than life. And if Christ is dead, then evil is greater than good. And if Christ is dead, then despair was bigger than hope. And that's where the disciples were. But glory be to God, folks. This is not the end. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. Amen? This is not the end. But before there could be light, there had to be some darkness. But that darkness leads us to our second point today, and that's the dawning of a new day. Follow along with me back in John 20, picking back up at verse 3. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that, Jesus, that said Jesus must rise 
from the dead. Then they went home. They went home. So early dawn, that Sunday morning, it would be the end of the darkest hour for the disciples, and it would be so shocking. And it would be so confusing. It's what I call mind-boggling. It just kind of blew their minds what had happened. Because here we have the two disciples who had been arguing over who was the greatest disciple. We have the two disciples who were arguing about who Jesus loved the most. We have one of the disciples who had asked God or wanted to ask God to rain down fire on the people and burn up the folks who didn't want to join their small group, right? And then the other disciple who had said that he would die for Jesus, but then denied that he even knew him three times. We find them at the tomb, and it's empty, and it finally dawns on them what Jesus had been telling them. They realize that he has been resurrected from the dead, and they just up and go home. Just up and went home. Now, we know that they will eventually come to understand what the resurrection really meant, that Jesus had come through on everything that he promised. And what he promised, and the fact that he was resurrected, would actually change everything. Because, see, the resurrected Jesus meant that he was indeed who he said he was. He was the Son of God. He was the Son of God. The second thing the resurrected Jesus tells us is it meant that sin had been defeated. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to flip over there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, it says this. And if Christ has not been raised, from, not been raised then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Verse 20, though, says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Because He has been raised, that means our faith is useful. It means that we are no longer guilty of our sins. It means that we don't have to just live without any hope of being lost forever, that we will be saved one day, and that we don't have to live for just life here on this earth, but we can live for the life that is coming after this, all because He defeated sin. Third thing, the resurrected Jesus means that death has been defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, following on down verse 54. says, Then our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die. This scripture will be fulfilled when that happens. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you still with me there with the story? This brings us to our final thought, and it could be the one that changes your life on this Easter Sunday because the dawning of a new day brought us this. It brought us the delivery over death's penalty. It brought us delivery from death's penalty, which was to die, to not live forever. We're going to die. But what happens after death? Well, the resurrection, the dawning of a new day, brought us delivery. Look at it in John 20, verse 11. The boys had gone home, remember? Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. 
She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Now, a few of you will remember these names, uh, Larnell Harris and Sandy Patty. Uh, yeah, that kind of dates us, right? I was at Six Flags Over Georgia when those two came out and sang live in front of me as a teenager, I've just seen Jesus. And folks, I want you to know, I almost got saved all over again, okay? I mean, I was jumping and shouting and hollering. I, look, I didn't look like a Baptist, I'll put it that way, okay? But it was exciting, man. I have seen the Lord. Can you imagine? You know, last week I asked you, when Jesus rounded that corner of that triumphal entry, and as he rounded that corner into your life, what kind of Jesus were you looking for? And who, who did you need Jesus to be in your life? And we came to the conclusion last week that a lot of times the Jesus that we want to see show up is not always the Jesus that we need or the Jesus who actually does show up. Well, Mary Magdalene had come to anoint the body of Jesus with oils and fragrances, as was the custom for that time when somebody died. But when she arrived, like many of us today, she did not find the Jesus that she was looking for. Right? The rock had been rolled away. The tomb was empty. She didn't find the dead Jesus. That's who she came to see. That's who she thought she was going to find was dead Jesus. Well, dead Jesus was gone. Right? And her first thought was, he's not alive. That wasn't her first thought. Her first thought was somebody stole the body. It's missing. And so she ran and got Peter and John his back up to find out what was going on. Right? And so John, remember, he's the one writing this particular narrative of the story because we're in John. So John is writing this story himself. And so he could have written about his thoughts at that moment. He could have written about his feelings and his emotions and what he was thinking about, but he did not choose to do that. He actually takes a huge swing and shift in the story, and he turns his attention back to Mary Magdalene, right? Because, see, the 11 remaining disciples, they weren't the only ones who loved Jesus. Mary loved her Lord, and this had wrecked her life. It really had. She was visibly distraught. And the one and only thing that she could do, she thought at this time, was to come and to anoint the dead body of Jesus with oil and fragrances. And now she couldn't even do that because his body was missing. And so here is where we pick up the story. Remember, Mary is outside the tomb. 
and she's crying. And I was kind of relieved in a way to find out that even the angels and Jesus himself do not know why women cry. Right? Can I get an amen, guys? I mean, even Jesus and the angel says, Mary, why are you crying? Why are you crying? But in this case, we know why Mary was crying. And I don't know if you've ever put it together before or not, but this wasn't the first time that Mary Magdalene had come to anoint the body of Jesus with oil and fragrances. There was another time. If you want to look over, it's in Luke 7. Luke 7. Let me read the story for you. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city, Mary Magdalene, heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, thinking in his mind, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, read his mind. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one who canceled the larger debt, the 500 pieces. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman, Mary Magdalene, and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many. You see, Jesus not only knew Simon's thoughts, but he knew Mary Magdalene. He knew what kind of life she had led. And immoral life. Well, her sins, though they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown much, me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, "Your sins are forgiven." The men at the table said among themselves, "Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins?" And Jesus said to the woman, "Your faith has saved you. Go in peace." And so Luke says this woman, Mary Magdalene, is an immoral woman and she could have been put to death for the lifestyle she is living. So she indeed, for her, it could have literally been the end. But she had been forgiven by Jesus. Jesus had set her free and because of that, she was showing him much affection and love by anointing his body with oils and fragrances. And then, ladies, using her crown of glory, her hair, she wiped his feet. I believe with all my heart, as intentional as God is, that there is no way it was a mistake that he didn't show up to the men first. Those two knuckleheads 
who had been arguing with each other about who was the greatest disciple and who loved Jesus the most, but then wouldn't show up when Jesus needed him the most. No, Jesus didn't show up to them. They just up and went home. He showed up to Mary, who had shown by her actions her love for Jesus. Mm -hmm. By her actions. And folks, get this. She realized more than anybody the value of being delivered from her darkest hour. She had lived it, and she had been delivered from it. Not only did Jesus save her from physical death, but he had now delivered her from spiritual death, and she knew what it meant to be set free from death's penalty. And that's what Resurrection Sunday does for us. It sets us free. But Mary didn't recognize the resurrected Jesus at first, remember? But can you imagine the emotion that filled her spirit when Jesus said, Mary, Mary, it's me. And she realized in this life-changing moment that her Jesus was no longer missing. He was not dead. He was not gone. He was alive and standing right in front of her. And not only that, but he knew her name. And folks, I'm telling you, Resurrection Sunday is all about Jesus being alive today. He is with us today, and he knows your name. He knows the darkest hour that you're going through. He wants to deliver you from the despair of that dark hour. He wants to set you free from the penalty of sin's death. And that's what the resurrection means today. It means that life has meaning and purpose and that this is not the end, folks. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. This is not the end. Dark hours are going to come. They're going to come. But the resurrection means that a new day will dawn for you. And that you can be delivered from all forms of death. Not just physical death, but all these other things that are weighing you down. As Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus is not resurrected, our faith, our Christianity, it is useless. There's no need to have it. But you know what? Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And so our faith is very useful. Our Christianity is useful. It is real. And so if you have never seen Jesus, I invite you to meet Him today. He's alive. And He knows your name. And He died for you on the cross. And I pray that you would ask Him into your heart and into your life this morning if you've never done that. Even right now, ask Him to come in. And those of you who have already seen Jesus at some point in your life, you've asked Him into your heart and into your life, you know that you have been delivered from sin's death. You know what it means to be set free from your sin. You know what it means to have someone to go through the dark hour with you. And so, you know what? We need to take that Jesus outside of these walls to those who need to see it as well. And that's my prayer for you to do this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, thank you for your plan to redeem us from our choice to disconnect from a relationship with you. Thank you for making it possible for our sins to be forgiven. Thank you for keeping your promise to save us from ourselves. It's because you have kept your promises that we can live today 
knowing that you will continue to keep your promises, that death is indeed defeated. The grave is not the end, but rather the beginning of a great forever and eternity with you. So I pray for that person who may be here or listening to this broadcast that has never seen the resurrected Jesus, that they would invite him to come into their heart even right now. And I pray for those of us who know Jesus will take him to those who need to see him so that they can see Jesus in us. So may Resurrection Sunday be forever remembered. Not as a great event, but as a lifestyle that we live each and every minute of our life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. All God's people said. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.